Thank you for joining us today for this life-changing message from River of Life. If you are ever in our area, we would love for you to join us. For more information, visit us at rolcrawfordville.com. That's rolcrawfordville.com. Or download our app in the App Store under ROL Crawfordville. Now, let's join Derek Gray as he teaches from the Word of God. So welcome. Uh, if you're visiting to the, our, our Wednesday night Bible study here at uh, River of Life, we have been making our way through the Sermon on the Mount for the past year, and we are getting very, very close to the end. Uh, tonight, as you can see, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 23, and uh, I've entitled this lesson, True Believers. I want to uh, give a, a thanks to Dante uh, for stepping in for me last week. <laughs> Kathy and I were uh, took a little time for our 40th anniversary. Good news, I signed her up for 10 more. <laughs> but she said after that, it's year to year. So we'll, <laughs> we'll see how that goes. All right, here we are. Uh, we're in verses 21 to 23. Now, Jesus has finished his teaching, uh, all the ethics and principles and all those things. He's finished those in verse 12, which, of course, is the golden rule. And now he's moved into the end of his sermon where he's challenging his listeners, those that were on that mountain that day uh, and everyone who has read or heard that sermon, uh, including us here tonight. He's challenging us to apply it to our lives. Now, if you go back You'll remember he begins that challenge with a description of two gates. And and he says, listen, there are two gates. One of these gates is a wide gate. The road behind that gate is very easy to walk. There is a whole lot of people. Uh, The many are on that road, but that road leads to destruction. And then over here is a little narrow gate. And this gate is, he says, there are few that find it. And the road behind that gate is hard to walk, but it's that road that leads to eternal life. And so what he's doing, of course, is he's laying out these two options that every man, woman, and human being that's ever lived has to choose. You're going to go through one of those gates, the broad great gate that leads to destruction, or you're going to go through the narrow gate that leads to life. Now listen, Jesus, of course, wants us to choose the narrow gate. But he also wants us to know that there are going to be dangers that face us. In fact, there is one very specific danger that we need to be on the lookout for, and that is the the danger of being deceived. Now, last week, Dante covered this very well in verses 15 to 20. The first warning he gives us concerns the deception that will come from false prophets. Now, we know their, their whole modus operandi is to deceive because Jesus said they are wolves in sheep's clothing. So these are men and women who come in among us and they dress up, they act like us, they talk like us, they, they talk like a Christian, and they, they, they look like a Christian. And by the way, please understand, these are, they're not easy to spot. See, I think sometimes we think, oh, I, I could spot them a mile away. No, you won't. They're, they're friendly, they're charismatic, everybody likes them, they're great communicators, but they're there to deceive. They claim they have a message from God, but they don't. 
And let me tell you, most Christians are easily deceived because our judgment is so superficial. We look and say, but he's a nice guy. He can't be a false prophet. That's why Jesus said, don't judge by appearances. Don't judge by what you see. Judge them by their fruit. Now, what is their fruit? GotQuestions.org has got a good list there, but I just want to point out the first one. Their message will never be consistent with Scripture. Never. They're, they're not going to line up with the Bible. They might give you just a little bit and, and, you know, just a little bit of truth, but always check their word against, against Scripture, and you'll know who they are. Now, that was the first warning. Tonight, we're going to look at a second warning. And again, this is, this is tonight he's going to be dealing with deception. But this deception doesn't come from outside. This deception doesn't come from other people. This deception comes from within our own selves. And of course, we're talking about self-deception. Now, you've got people who are going to be self-deceived, Jesus said. They think they're believers. They think that they have entered the narrow gate. They think they're going to heaven. They think they're part of the, of the kingdom. They are absolutely convinced they're going to heaven. And they will believe that right up until the day of judgment. And on the day of judgment, they're going to find out that they were horribly, horribly wrong. Now, I've got to be honest with you. The passage we're going to hear tonight is not going to be easy. It is a hard passage to hear. Not so hard to understand, even though there is, there is a, a, a part of that that we'll have to do some explaining. It's just hard to hear. In fact, can I tell you that if just any man other than Jesus had uttered what he's going to say, we'd probably criticize him, we'd probably condemn him, and, 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 and probably some would say he's a heretic. Because he, I mean, just, you just don't hear people say what he's about to say. But the fact is, he said it. These are his words, the Son of God. And because of that, you and I better sit up and pay attention. Because the very fact that he says it means it's true. Are you with me? May not understand it, may not agree with it, may not like it, don't matter. The very fact that he says it means it's true and I better give it my utmost attention. Okay? These are his words, verses 21 to 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, talking about the day of judgment, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now listen, I don't know how anybody could read that or hear that and not be affected by it. If that doesn't bother you, I'm going to be honest with you, there's something wrong with you. Anybody that's serious about the eternal life, that's serious about Jesus, that's, that's serious about the Word of God, you read that and you're going to be affected. Now, some, at, at the minimum, it's, it's unsettling, it's disturbing, 
But I've heard even people say, that's, man, that's scary. That's terrifying to, to read those words. Now, here's the question. Why does it bother us? Again, it's, it's spoken by Jesus himself. It's got to be the truth. So why does it bother us? Here's why it bothers us. Because of it, he bothers us because of whom he's talking to. It bothers us because of who he's talking to. I, I want to explain this to you, okay? I want to make sure you understand the gravity of what he's saying here tonight. I want you to imagine for a moment that that circle or that oval, whatever it is, represents all the people in the world, okay? I don't know what the last count was, seven and a half, eight billion people. So let's just say that circle represents all seven and a half, eight billion people that are alive right this second on the face of the earth. Now, here's my question. Out of all those seven and a half, eight billion people, who is it that is calling Jesus Lord? That's what he said, wasn't it? On that day, they will say to me, Lord, Lord. So who is it about all of all the people in the world that are calling Jesus Lord? Well, let's let's do a little categorization, if you will. I think we'd all agree that of all the people in the world, there is a certain percentage that we would call non-religious. Right? These could be atheists, these could be agnostics, or these could just, there's some people, they wouldn't say they're an atheist or agnostic, they just don't care. They just don't care. Their God is their belly, that's all they care about. They don't give God a second thought. They're not religious. Well, what are these people saying about Jesus? Well, they're just, they would say, well, he's just a man. Better than some, maybe worse than others, but he's just a man. See, what I want you to see is, that's not who Jesus is talking to, because they're not calling him Lord, are they? So he's not talking to the non-religious people. Let's look at another group. Let's look at those that we would call false religions. Maybe these are the Buddhist or, or, or Islam or one of these other false religions that's worshiping a false god. There's certainly a great many, many, many people in the world that we could put in that category. What would they say? about Jesus. Well, certainly some of them would hold Jesus in high regard. For example, Muslims say would say he was a prophet. He was a messenger from God, but he's just a man. He's not deity. He's not any kind of divine being. He's certainly not God. Well, listen, Muslims aren't calling him Lord, are they? Jesus is not talking to them. This this, this is not who he has in mind. In this passage, let's drop down to the Jews or those that practice Judaism. Now, the good thing about the Jews, of course, is that they got the right God. They worship Jehovah, Yahweh. They, they've got the right God, but they don't want anything to do with Jesus. They don't even want to mention his name. And if you ask a, a, a Jew what they think about Jesus, they would say, well, he's just another failed Messiah in a long line of failed messiahs. They're not calling him Lord. That's not who Jesus is talking to. Let's come in a little bit further to what I call the, the Jesus cults. What I mean by this is these are the religions out there that have a, a figure in their religion called Jesus. Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, they, they have a Jesus, but it ain't the Jesus of the Bible. For example, Mormons would say this about Jesus, that Jesus is God's firstborn spirit child 
who attained God status. In other words, Jesus became a God just like you can become a God and I can become a God. We can all be gods like Jesus. Folks, that's not the Jesus of the Bible who's existed eternally. So I, I don't, he's not talking to them. They may call him Lord, by the way. But it's, again, it's not the Jesus of the Bible. It's something they've constructed of their own making. What's that? Li- who does that leave? It leaves what I call the orthodox. It, it leads. It leaves people who are believe what you and I believe. They believe in the Jesus of the Bible. They would say, "Yeah, he he died on a cross for my sins. I, I believe that's true." They would refer to him as Lord. And you see, the person that calls Jesus Lord is recognizing that he's more than a man, that he is the supreme authority, that he's worthy of our submission and our worship, that he's more than a man, that he's God when you say that. Look at John 20. This is, the, of course, when uh, Jesus in his encounter with Thomas, when Thomas heard that Jesus was raised from the dead, he said, I, I won't believe it unless I, I see the scars. Of course, Jesus walks into the room and he tells Thomas, put your, put your finger in my hand. Put your hand in, in, in this, in this uh, wound in my side. Don't disbelieve, but believe. And what does Thomas say? My Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. Let me tell you, folks, people that call Jesus Lord, they're right. There is nothing wrong with that profession. All true believers will call Him Lord. So here's this group of people who they've got their doctrine right. They're calling the Jesus of the Bible Lord. And that's why this is so disturbing. Because He's talking to people just like you and me. Are you with me? He's talking to people that believe the same stuff that we believe. He's talking to people that are professing to be Christians, that profess to be believers. So this, you know, sometimes we read the Bible and it's, it's easy to say, well, he's talking to them. It's all, we're always much more comfortable when he's talking to them. He's not talking to them. He's talking to us. He's talking to professing Christians, professing believers, and that makes us very uncomfortable. Kent Hughes says this, all true Christians say, Lord, Lord. But not all who say, Lord, Lord, are true Christians. Intellectual orthodoxy, in other words, just believing it with your mind, does not indicate saving faith. You can be absolutely correct in your belief about Christ's nature and person, His atonement, His resurrection, His return. You can have all that right and yet not be saved. Now, folks, is that true? How can that be? How can somebody believe the right things and yet not be saved? Is that possible? Is there anything in the Bible that would say that's possible? Absolutely. Do you not know that even the demons believe what you believe? The demons believe exactly what you believe. This is what James says in chapter 2. He's dealing with a group of people. And they're saying, oh, I got faith, I believe. And he says to them, you believe there's one God? Good for you. Even the demons believe that. What makes you different from the demons? 
You can look at a couple of examples in the ministry of Jesus. Matthew chapter 8 says, When he came to the other side, talking about the Sea of Galilee, to the country of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men met him. And behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? They knew who he was. They believed he's the Son of God. By the way, they even had their eschatology right. They know that one day they're going, they're going to suffer in hell. Have you come to torment us before the time? They, they got it all right. Another one in Luke 4, And demons came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he's the Christ. He's the Messiah. He's the Savior. Folks, listen, demons believe all the right things. In fact, can I say this, and I I can't prove this, but the very fact that they're very intelligent and the fact that they've been around so long, they probably are more knowledgeable than we are. They're probably more knowledgeable than we are. The problem with the belief of demons is that it's all in their head. Are you with me? It's just up here. It never penetrates anywhere else. You see, it is possible, it's possible to intellectually agree with Scripture, to intellectually say, yes, I believe that's true, yet there be nothing deeper, no commitment to Jesus, no obedience to Him as Lord. It's a head knowledge with no repentance, no discipleship, no taking up your cross, no following Him, no self-denial. No putting to death the deeds of the body. None of that stuff. Just up here. And by the way, if that's the case, Jesus said, that's not enough. That's not enough. Let's read it again. Verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Now listen, every single one of us ought to be zeroed in right there. Because that's how you're getting in. That's how you're getting in. Not just calling Him Lord. These guys ain't going in. The one who does the will of my Father. That's what we need to know right there. Now I'm going to come back to that in a moment. But before I do, Jesus wants to make sure that there is absolutely no misunderstanding of what He just said. He wants to make sure we, we, we get what he's talking about. So he's going to clarify what he just said. And he's going to do it using three illustrations. And if you thought what he said before was disturbing, it's going to get more disturbing. Because it's going to turn out that not only did this, these people have the right profession, the right doctrine, they actually had works to go along with it. Let's read what he said, verses 22 to 23. On that day, now remember, he's clarifying. They're going to call me Lord. And he's going to say, nope, that's not who's going in. And then he says this, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do mighty works in your name? And I'm going to declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now, I'm gonna, we're going to dig into that for just a second, but I want to point out a few things. Number one, that scares me. That scares me for the church. 
this, he's not talking about a few. What he's talking about here, the deception that's happening, is happening to who? Many. Many will say to me on that day. Many will say, look, look at what I did. I can't imagine a more horrifying thing than to go through life thinking you're going in and then, at, and then realize, oh my gosh, I was wrong. And the door is shut. It's over. It's done. And he says that's going to occur to many. The second thing we point out is, is they say, Lord, Lord. Now, that's a little unusual, isn't it? But you know, there's something about the, 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 the Jews that you notice Jesus, if you go to the King James, you remember Jesus would say things like, verily, verily. In the more, uh, more modern translations, he says, truly, truly. There's this idea when you really want to show your fervor, you really want to show your zeal, you really want to show that you mean it, you say it twice. So not only are they calling him Lord, but they're, 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 they're back, you know, they're, they're showing their zeal and their fervor. The other thing I want to point out is they didn't prophesy in Allah's name. They're not casting out demons in Buddha's name. They're not doing mighty works in the name of, of Joseph Smith. They're doing it in his name. And then finally, i got to point this out, because some people say, well, maybe, maybe these were people who had been saved and filled with the Spirit, and they were able to cast out demons and do all these works and stuff, and then they, they fell away. No. What did Jesus say? I never knew you. You've never had a relationship with me. So these are unbelievers. They've always been unbelievers. Now, folks, <clears throat> I, I, I read sometimes, and I've thought this, how can that be? How can they cast out demons if they're an unbeliever? How, how can they do those things? And, and some people say, well, maybe they were lying. And they, they possibly could have been. Maybe, but, I, but Jesus doesn't rebuke them. Jesus doesn't say, man, don't, don't say that. Don't tell me lies. He doesn't rebuke that, which at least lends credence to the fact that their statements could pot, quite possibly be true. Now, this is a hard part for me because I just, in my mind, it just makes no sense that they could do those things. So we dig into the word and we ask the question, can this be? I want to look at all three of these things just very quickly. And see, is it possible for unbelievers to do these things? So let's look at the first one. Did we not prophesy <clears throat> in your name? Is it possible, is it biblical for an unbeliever to be able to do that? Now, a prophet, by the way, is, one, is just one who declares the message of God. That's what a prophet does. Now, if you go to the Old Testament, there were two aspects to prophecy. One is called foretelling, where a prophet would foretell the future. But the other part of it is just what's called forthtelling. It's where you just deal with a present situation. And by the way, if you go read the Old Testament, probably 97% of it was not telling the future. It was speaking to the people. You know how the prophets were. You're a bunch of heathen sinners. You need to get, you know, turn back to God. They weren't telling the future. They were preaching. They were preaching. They were bringing the Word of God. So here's the question. Is it possible? Is it biblical that a man could preach and proclaim a message from God, do it in Christ's name, 
yet that man remain out of the kingdom. Is that possible? It sure is. I'm going to give you two examples. The first one's from the Old Testament, a man that we know by the name of Balaam. I'll let you go back and read this on your own. I won't fill in the whole story. But if you go back, the, the Israelites have left Egypt. They spend 40 years in the desert. Joshua, and, and, and they all lead them into the promised land. And they start, they start, you know, they start fighting these wars. And they're, they're, they're defeating these different kingdoms and cities. And this one uh, guy was the king of the Moab, uh, Moabites was the name of Balak. And he looked at all them people. He thought, man, I can't win this war. So he decides to do something. It says this. So Balak, who was the king of Moab, sent messengers to a man named Balaam, saying, Behold, a people has come out of Egypt. Come now, curse this people for me, since they're too mighty for me. So the elders departed with fees for divination in their hand. You see, Balaam was a prophet for hire. He took money and prophesied. He would prophesy for that false god. He'd prophesy for that. He didn't care. He was a, he he was he was a prophet for hire. But it turns out that even though he was not a man of God, he wasn't a prophet of God. The Bible tells us in Numbers twenty three that the Lord put a word in Balaam's mouth, and he said, "How can I curse whom God has not cursed? How can I denounce whom the Lord has not denounced? Must I not take care to speak what the Lord?" puts in my mouth. So he, he, the Lord did that. The Lord put the word in there. And not only that, if you read on in Numbers 24, he's speaking to the king of Balaam and he issues what most commentators say is a messianic prophecy. A star shall come out of Jacob and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. And the man was a prophet for hire. In the New Testament, he, so he spoke the right things. He had the right message, yet he was not a part of the kingdom of God. How do we know that? New Testament, these are the words of Jesus, by the way. In Revelation, speaking to the churches, he says, But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food, sacrifice to idols, and practice sexual immorality. This is what Balaam did. Balaam said, look, told the king, said, look, man, I cannot curse these people. I cannot do that. But if you really want to get them, here's what you need to do. Just, just intermingle with them. Intermarry with them. Let them, let them worship and, and eat food, sacrifice. Just do all that, and you'll, you'll defeat them. And he was right. He was right. Peter said this in 2 Peter 2.15, talking about false prophets, he says this, forsaking the right way, They've gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing. See, it says right there, false prophets are following Balaam. They're on the wrong way. He wasn't a man of God. How about this scripture, a couple of scriptures from Paul's letters, Philippians chapter 1. Paul says, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The former proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. People are preaching Christ from envy, from rivalry, and from selfish ambition. Does that sound like men of God? Now, how about what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, too? If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith to remove mountains and I don't have love, I am nothing. 
How about the second one? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Now, this is a tough one. How does somebody who's not saved, how does somebody who's not in the kingdom, how do they cast out demons? Is there anything biblical that would show that happening? Absolutely. You find this in Mark chapter 6, verses 7 to 13. It says, And he called the twelve, and he began to send them out two by two, and he gave them authority over the unclean spirits, and they cast out many demons. So he takes his twelve disciples, divides them up into two, and sends them out. And notice who gave them authority. Who was it? Jesus. They didn't have it in themselves. He gave them authority to do that. So they go out, and they start casting out demons. And you say, well, what's that got to do with an unbeliever? Was not Judas? Was not Judas numbered in the twelve? And Jesus sit at the Last Supper and says, One of you has a devil, and the disciples had no clue who it was. Why? Because Judas had done everything they'd done. Nobody was sitting there thinking, That Judas, he's got to be the one. He's got to be the one. He, he didn't cast out no demons. No. He did everything they did. And they had no clue. How about this final one? Did we not do many mighty works in your name? Do we have biblical examples of, of, of unbelievers, people outside the kingdom of God doing mighty works? Well, we do. And, and one of the first ones that comes to mind, of course, is uh, the story of Pharaoh and Moses. We all know the story where uh, Aaron cast down his staff before Pharaoh and his servants and it became a, a serpent. You remember that story? And it says, then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers and they, the magicians of Egypt, did the same. Now, the Bible doesn't say it, that, they, it, that they seem to do the same. It says they did the same. Now, I don't, I don't pretend to understand that. I don't understand how anybody could do that. I, I'm not, I, I don't know. I can tell you this, though. Matthew 24, Jesus said this, For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders. Those are his words. False Christ, false prophets will arise. I don't know how they're going to do it. They're going to do it through the power of Satan. I don't know. But Jesus said they're going to do it. Can unbelievers, people outside the kingdom, do those things? Absolutely. Now, here's the thing I want you to understand. I did my best to explain those three things. But I don't have all the answers. Certainly, those are difficult things. I can only refer you back to what I know. And that is the words of the Son of God Himself, which, by the way, are true, whether we understand it or not. And He said on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in Your name and cast out demons in Your name and, and do mighty works in Your name? And I want to declare to them, I never knew You. Let me tell you what Jesus is telling us, folks, and, and I want you to listen very, very closely. He is telling us that calling Him Lord, performing miracles, preaching or teaching the Word, casting out demons, all that stuff is not going to get you into heaven. That's not going to get you into heaven. By the way, in the same vein, those very things are not proof of salvation. And sadly, sadly, most Christians would look at things like that. If I said, why are you a Christian? Well, I believe, I believe, I believe. They could probably, you know, go down and, talk and quote Scripture 
Or they'd say, I've been in church, or I've been, I, I've been teaching Bible study at River of Life for 15 years. I've got to be a Christian. And Jesus said, no, don't rely on those things. You can literally, these people are self-deceived. See, they're just like the Pharisees. If you go all the way back to the, to, uh, and read through the Sermon on the Mount, the Pharisees thought they were men of God. They knew Scripture better than anybody. They had the righteous acts. They fasted. They, 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 they gave of, of, their, of their money. They prayed. They did, they did that more than anybody else. They thought they were in the kingdom. And they were wrong. These people on the last day are just like the Pharisees. They think, because I know Scripture, because I've been in the church, because I've been doing all these things, I've got to be a Christian. They were wrong, and there will be people on the day of judgment that will be wrong. You see, true faith is not that. True faith is not that. So what is it? Well, let's go back to verse 21. And I got real good news, okay? It's been a lot of bad news, but I got some good news coming. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father. Now, every single person here should be saying, okay, tell me what that means. Tell me what that means, because I need to be that person. Well, Jesus tells us right in the passage. I just love what he does. He never, he, he never leaves us hanging. He tells us right in the passage. So here's the question. What is the will of the Father? Well, let's look at those verses again. Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father. I will declare to them, I never knew you. They're not going into heaven because they didn't do the will of the Father. Jesus says, I never knew you. If they had done the will of the Father, Jesus would have said what? I know you. You see, folks, listen to me. Those two right there tell you what the will of the Father is. The will of the Father is to know Jesus. That's the will of the Father. It is the first and foremost thing. If you go to God and say, God, what do you want me to do? It's the first thing out of his mouth. Know my son. Know my son. Be in a relationship with my son. In John chapter 6, Jesus said that very things. They said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus said, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who is sin. This is what I want you to do. This is my will. This is the Father's will. Believe in me. Know me. Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 3.11, No one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. This is where we start. A relationship with Christ. And by the way, I want you to understand what knowing Jesus means. It doesn't mean knowing about Jesus. Listen, I could, I could read 25 books on George Washington. I, I could make a career out of studying George Washington. I could tell you everything about him, what he had, what he liked for breakfast, what he liked for lunch, you know, what, how big his, uh, the, the horse he rode on. I could tell you all these facts. I could tell you about George Washington, but I don't know George Washington. It's not enough to know about Jesus. You gotta know him. That means you walk with him and you talk with him and you obey him and you submit to him and you abide in him. You, you have a relationship with him. You see, folks, the people on that day, listen to me, 
They had the right doctrine. They had a right profession. Lord, Lord. They even had religious works. But they missed first base. Did you know that in baseball, that a batter can hit a home run over the fence? And if he misses first base, he can touch second base, he can touch third base, and he can touch home. And when that ball goes back into play, all the pitcher has to do is flip it over there. They step on it, and he's out. He's out. Didn't matter. Didn't matter how, how, how much he had trained to get there to that, to that moment. It didn't matter how much he had studied the pitcher. It didn't matter all the work he had put in. It doesn't matter the effort to hit the home run. It doesn't matter that the crowd patted him on the back. He missed first base. He missed the foundational thing to get him into the kingdom of God. You see, what God wants, what the Father wants, is people to change their minds about what it takes to be right with Him. See, we think, man, I got to have the right theology and I got to have the right works and I got to do all. That's what the Pharisees thought. It's not enough to know the right things. It's not enough to say the right things. It's not enough to perform righteous acts. To, to Listen, it's not enough to get up here Wednesday after Wednesday after Wednesday for years and years and, and teach the word. That's not enough. It's not enough. Pastor Henry, how long have you been pastoring? 50 years? It's, I mean, it's, isn't it 50? It's something like that, right? How many years is it? He's forgotten, see? We can just make up a number. It's a long. Folks, listen to me. It, it, those things, when it comes to getting into heaven, those things mean nothing. They mean nothing. John 17, 3, Jesus said, This is eternal life, that you know God and you know Jesus Christ, His Son. That's eternal life. That's it. You know me. It's not about the works. Now, if you know Jesus, those works are great, and you'll get, uh, you, you'll get rewards for them, but that's not getting you into heaven. You better know Him. Let me tell you, here's the good news, folks. Listen to me. Those who get into heaven are not going to do it by their knowledge or by their accomplishments. It doesn't matter if you've got a master's degree in theology. You don't have to, you, you can just know a few verses. If that's all you've had time to learn. It's not about that. It's not about your accomplishments. It's about none of that kind of stuff. It's about knowing Jesus. You will have eternal life based on your obedience to the will of God, which starts with knowing His Son, having a relationship with His Son. It's why Paul said this in Philippians 3.8, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. My education is trash. All the works I do is trash. None of that means anything. One thing is of surpassing value, and that is I know Jesus. That's all that matters to get you into heaven. Jesus said this, Depart from me. You workers of lawlessness, <laughs> they're casting out demons. They're doing mighty works. They're prophesying. He says, get away from me, you workers of lawlessness. That word, what that word literally means is that as a person, you, you're basically saying, yeah, I know, God, you want it done that way, but I'm going to do it my way. 
You, that's what it means. Basically making your own rules. So they had made their own rules. Forget what God wanted for people to get into heaven. I'm going to do it my way. See, here's the thing. John 15, 4 says this. Abide in me and I in you and as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself. Here's the thing. When you're apart from Jesus, you're not abiding in the vine. I don't care what you do. It's nothing. You're not producing it from the vine. You're producing it from yourself. And it counts for nothing. Nothing. Like Isaiah said, Jesus looks at all those works, looks at all you did, and it's just filthy rags. It's filthy rags because you didn't produce it through a relationship with him. I close with this. Lord, Lord, how do I know? How do I know that I know him? How do I, how do I know if it's not my knowledge of Scripture? If it's not my, 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 my casting out demons or doing all that kind of stuff, then how do I know that I have a relationship? How do I know that I've come to know him? Well, First John tells us the answer to this. And by this, we know that we've come to know him if we keep his commandments. It's that simple. Not because you've taught or preached or served or anything for years, and not those. Do you keep his commandments? Do you submit to him as your Lord? Listen, don't be deceived, folks. This is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6. Don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, and he goes on and on. How many people across America are, are in church calling him Lord and they're living a sexually immoral lifestyle? Paul says, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. How many people across America are in church on, on Sunday morning, but Friday night they're in the bars getting drunk? Paul says, don't be deceived. Don't you be deceived. Because you know theology and you some, at some point you walked down an aisle and you called him Lord. But your life don't show it. Paul says don't be deceived. I ran across a pretty cool quote. It says this, English is a strange language. There's no butter in buttermilk, no egg in eggplant. There's no ham in a hamburger and no apple in a pineapple. Quicksand works slow and boxing rings are square. Inconsistencies of language are not significant, but inconsistencies in life matter. Inconsistencies in life matter. If you profess to be a Christ follower, you better follow Christ. Your words and your deeds must be consistent with what you profess with your mouth. Folks, it's not enough to believe the right things if your character and your actions deny the very thing you say you believe in. It's not enough. It's not enough to cast out demons. It's not enough to preach and teach the Word of God. It's not enough to, to do miracles. It's not enough to, 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 to be in church and do all these things if you go home and you practice the very unrighteousness that you say you've been saved from. It's not enough. It means absolutely nothing to call him Lord when your life denies that he is your Lord. It means nothing. It's just, it's just, it, 
It's nothing. See, here's the question tonight. Do you know him? Do you know him? Listen, in just a moment, we're going to have prayer and we're going to pray for Israel. And I, and I know we're all horrified and, and captivated by what's going on over there. But folks, let me tell you, there is a, there's something here tonight that what's going on over there pales in comparison to what about your soul? Nothing else matters. What about your soul? Do you know Him? Are you in a relationship with Him? You know, next week, I don't know where I'm going to go. Um, I don't know if I'm going to move on or I'm going to come back. I, I, I just don't know yet. There's just something about this question this week. I can tell you I've done a lot of walking and a lot of praying. God, I... I, I want to do it. Am I? See, one of the things, if we're not careful, listen to me. I can get so, I love, I love this. I love it. I, I mean, I just love it. I love the study. I love compiling it. I love doing it. But do I love this more than I love him? It, it, am I mistaken a busyness for a relationship? I read someone ask a question this week. What if all this was taken away? What if you couldn't do any of that anymore? Would you still be fulfilled just by having a relationship with him? Wow. That, that put me on. That, I had to do some praying. I had to say, God, it's got to be about you. It's got to be about knowing you. All this is just extra. It's just stuff. Do you know him? Let's pray. Father, Lord, we thank you for your incredible word. God, I, I, I know earlier this week when I picked this up, I thought, my, I wish you hadn't have said that. But by the end of the week, God, I was so glad you said it. Because how does anybody ever going to know they're self-deceived if you didn't tell them? How does anybody know there's still a way out right now, not when it's too late? Father, I pray that if there's anyone here tonight that they've been going about the busyness of religion, the busyness of church. God, I, if they're self-deceived, if they've been relying on the fact that they've just been in church for so many years, God, if there's anybody here like that, then God, I pray somehow, some way that you lift that veil off of their eyes, you lift that veil off of that heart, and you, God, you help them to see themselves as they really are. You are our only hope to be delivered from that. Father, for those here who know you, I thank you for that. And God, I pray in the days ahead that, that more and more, that the relationship with you will become of more and more and more importance, that we'll understand as a body, that we'll understand as a family, that we'll understand as a church, that that's what matters. That's what matters more than anything else. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for listening to this message from River of Life. If this message has touched you today, or if you need someone to pray with, please contact us at 850-926-1200 or email us at info at rolcrawfordville.com. 
We also want to encourage you to visit us this Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. in Crawfordville. Please visit us online at rolcrawfordville.com for more information and directions.